say, I don't need this, correct? I've spoken for Daniel a few times, and I've needed that. Thank you, Jerry. Um, I was born and raised in Old Hickory, which is not too far from here. I do live in Sumner County now. I, uh, I work for a living, but I'm getting very, very close to retirement. In fact, I've been trying to retire all year, not because I can afford it, but just because it's something I want to do. I want to retire. And uh, most people look at me, and for some reason, I don't know why, they say, you don't look that old, and I'm on Medicare. took my first Medicare physical. Uh, they had to delay it because of the COVID virus, but I took it last month. I walk into the offices, and they look at me, and they say, you don't look like you belong here. And I said, wait till you see my x-rays. And they took about 20 x-rays, and they said, aha, you do belong here. Uh, my bones are old and my bones do creak. Back here in the far corner is my brother David. Stand up, David. Wait. Stand up, wait, man. I don't know, I don't know why, but people can't seem to tell us apart. It's just odd, but, uh, uh, David and I, David's from the Sudan. And David and I have a ministry together. In fact, several years ago, uh, he went over and delivered some supplies into some refugee camps there. Uh, things that we don't even think about, i.e., like, uh, you don't think about a mosquito net, but those people over there in those refugee camps, that's all they think about, especially when they're eaten up at night by these giant mosquitoes that they could die from. And uh, so we've delivered nets, we've delivered milk for children, uh, Bible, songbooks, and other supplies into the refugee camps. And, and one of the leaders, I know, David, you told me one time you were going into the camp with the, with the, with the things for them to help them, and they said, why are you doing this? They couldn't understand that, that, that we did it because we cared. And uh, But David was able to build a relationship. I think one of them named the church after us now. So, uh, uh, But David's trying to get a trip to go back over there. We have about 50 children in an orphanage. And uh, you know, when I share that with people, I always get the same pious looks, and people will look back at me and they'll go, We have starving children in America. And I'm not denying that. But I can tell you this. They're not laying out there on the street naked with no clothing, with no hope of a meal, clothing, or food, and going to die. I have not yet seen that here. And that's what goes on over there. And uh, we've got children in the school that the only place, David, am I correct? The only place they get clothes is through us. And we're the only school that actually feeds a meal so they can stay alive. And we've got a waiting list, and we just we, we're, we're doing what we can and what God provides. Now, I do have a message for you this evening. In fact, it's one I shared a little bit. I told Jay what I was going to speak on, and uh, but at my age, at almost sixty-six, I can tell you there's there's two things that have never happened to me in my life. I'm almost sixty-six years of age, and I know you may find this shocking, but. Uh, First, I've, I've never won a beauty contest. That's <laughs> just amazing. And now, if you ask my mother, I was the best looking baby that's ever been born. Uh, and the second thing that's just never happened to me is I've never won a popularity contest. And that is one thing I do not seek. Uh, I'm going to tell you, and I'll tell you straight up, and I'll just, I just tell people the way things are. I get an opportunity to speak at different places. Um, I can tell you right now, if I was I, if I was invited to the First Baptist Center to be the other night, this is the message I would speak, 
and I'd probably get stoned to death before I got out of there. And I do not shy away from the truth of God's Word, from the message of God's Word, and we need to hear the truth. We need to hear God's Word. So as I start this evening, you'll see me take my glasses on and off. But see, it's odd. At 66 years of age, my distance vision is still 2020. That's remarkable. But I can't even see my fingers. I mean, this is great. When you get up close, I can't see nothing. And these are my prescription reading glasses. So if I want to see you, I got to go like this. If I want to read, I got to go like this. So there's a whole lot of that going on. And I do have quite a few scriptures to share with you. One of the things to start out, I, I do a lot of study. In fact, I, I, with what resources I have, I'm a bit of a a collector of books and some Bibles. In fact, this is actually uh, one of my collection I brought with me tonight. Now, it's a New King James Bible. There's probably several of you out there who've got a New King James Bible, but probably not this one. Um, You may not know this, but the New King James was actually the, the, the translation of the New Testament was finished in 1979. And in order, I guess, to get some cash funds coming in to help, you know, pay for the rest of the translation, Thomas Nelson went ahead and published the New Testament only. I mean, this is a little thick, but it's the, that's only the New Testament that was published in 1979. That's the first publication of the New King James Bible. I actually have one of these at home still in the original plastic from 1979. And they finished the Psalms one year later in 1980. They finished the Old Testament in 1982 and published the whole Bible. So if you've got a whole Thomas Nelson Bible... And you've got a date in there before 1982. I'd sure like to see it. Probably want to buy it because I don't think one exists. It was 1982. Now, one of my pet peeves, everybody has pet peeves, right? Everybody, everybody, everybody. Let me share some. I'll tell you, I was sitting over there before I get into my pet peeves, and I believe God gave me a message or, or a scripture he wanted me to share with the congregation because I heard of some hurts out here. Now, you, I, I want you to understand something. There's so many times you and I will sit back. Now we won't, we won't, we'll be careful how we say it to God, but we really believe all our problems, if we're honest, could be solved by more money, more education, maybe if we were born into a different family. I mean, we all have those thoughts that I'm in this, it ain't my fault, it's, it's, it's one of these things, one of these, I'm going to share something with you from God's Word that just just might encourage you or hopefully make you think. In the first Corinthians chapter one, starting verse twenty-two, Paul says this: For the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, that means called by God, Christ. Using Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now hear this. For you see your calling. Now, now Paul's talking to the church and he says, I want you to stop and you think about your calling when God called you. He said, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And what does that mean? Well, here's what Paul told us, whether we want to believe it or not. Well, wise according to the flesh, that's the educated people. Not many mighty, those are the people in political power, in business power. Not many noble, those are those well-born and those that have the money. 
And Paul just says, not many of them are even called. And if you know the Scriptures, you know you cannot come to God unless He calls you first. So do you really want to be in a class of people that the Bible doesn't say He doesn't call any, but by golly, it does say it doesn't say he call, doesn't call any, but it does say he doesn't call many. It's right there in the scripture. Well, who does he call? Listen to this. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world, that's me, to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. That's our God. So we need to thank him. Thank him. We are where we are, that we're in the group that he called. Because I can tell you right now, someday, someday, and it ain't too far away, we're going to be the most wealthy people we could ever dream of being. Now, to the fun part, my pet peeves. Music. Christian music. You have to be a little careful when you listen to it. We can get excited by songs, but you better not get your theology through music. Let me give you a couple of examples. This is one of my pet peeves. I always listen to music. There's a song out there about Jesus took my place on the cross. And here's what it says. There on a hill called Calvary, there stood a cross of agony. Nailed to that cross where I should be, he took my place at Calvary. Boy, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound pious? Doesn't that just feed your soul? The problem is it's just not true. I'm going to tell you, I can stand up here as a believer Look you in the eye and tell you, guess what? Jesus did not take my place on the cross. You understand that? Jesus did not take my place on the cross. There were two other thieves that died side by side with Jesus. You tell me which one of them was saved because they died on the cross. Our place is not on the cross. Our place is in hell, if you read the scripture. It's hell, not the cross. The cross is temporary. Hell is permanent. Jesus did not take my place on the cross. Jesus and Jesus alone could take my sin upon that cross. That's the difference. I don't belong on the cross. I belong in hell. But Jesus took my sin upon that cross and nobody else could have done it but Jesus. I couldn't atone for a single one of my sins upon that cross. There's another song out there that we sing uh, traditionally at the uh, uh, Easter time. And it's a beautiful song. There's a man named Jim Murray. He used to sing with Elvis Presley. He lives in Sumner County. He, uh, um, he used to sing with, I don't know, one of the biggest groups that existed in the 70s and 80s. I think he leads uh, music at a, at a church in Lebanon or somewhere now today. But he would sing this song, man. It just put chills on your, up down your spine when he's singing it. But here, here listen to these words. He chose the place, he chose the hour, that he would rise by his own power. A sacrifice three days ago, and now praise God, the Lamb arose. Boy, that's just, sounds good, doesn't it? Well, here's the problem. The, the line said that he would rise by his own power. Paul says in Galatians 1.1, he says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ, the God and Father, who raised him from the dead? Now what did the Bible say? Who raised Jesus from the dead? Acts 2.32. This Jesus, this Jesus 
hath God raised up. All right? I had a man in Sunday school. I teach Sunday school. argue this maybe one day until I pull the Bible out. He can't argue. Acts 10, 40. Him God raised up the third day. Now, Jesus said, I had the power to lay it down. I had the power to take it up. Jesus could have raised himself. He says in John 2, 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But I believe that I, in that case, indicates that he is God. The three are one. And sometimes we get in a little trouble when we try to, in some of the separation. But it's clear that God, God that we, we have these scriptures, so we're told God raised him from the dead. Now, why? what's the difference? If Jesus raised himself from the dead, or if God raised him from the dead, does it make any difference? Well, the answer is yes. Now, why does it make a difference? Well, what was Jesus' purpose? If you read the scriptures, Jesus' purpose was to reconcile. We're a fallen man in sin, and Jesus' purpose was to reconcile us to the Father. He's our mediator. Mediator to who? The Father. He's our high priest. The Father. Okay? So... God raised him from the dead as evidence, as proof to you and I that he accepted the sacrifice for our sins. That's why the Father raised him from the dead. Now, now I get to start preaching. That's spaghetti hope for a little while. Just a little while. I, I want to share a couple things with you tonight. And... And and one really leads into the other. I think I may have spoken this one other time when I was up here talking. I'm not sure, but this is just so important. The crucifixion. Do you realize that what we see on TV, what we see in the movies, was not the crucifixion? I have no idea why this is a preached up taught to Christianity. It is not. I have studied Roman crucifixion. And what we see is not it. You know, we see, and even you go by a cross, and you got the cross. Oh, I keep thinking, I've got, I've got to stay near the microphone. You go to the cross, this is what you see, right? This is what you see on that little thing that you wear around, around your necks, right? He's standing just like this. Makes crucifixion. What was the purpose of Roman crucifixion? Does anybody know? The number one, there were several purposes I, I want to mention, but the number one, yes sir. Now what was the purpose? Why did, they could have just, they could have just, uh, cut their heads off. They could have hung them. Why did they crucify them? Now we're getting there. It's a deterrent. See, public, uh, 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 crucifixions were public. They wanted people there. They wanted people there because if you saw somebody crucified, it was so gruesome. It was so tormenting. It was so horrible. You would not do what they did. Now, so the first purpose was a deterrent and fear, to bring fear against the Romans. So what is number two, which makes number one so scary, number two is torture. The idea is they, they wanted to come up with the most agonizing, painful, torturous method of death so no one would dare do what they did was torture. And that's what we're going to look at. What did Jesus really go through on that cross for you and me? Well, first of all, we always see him in the movies. They lay him down, and while he's laid down, right, they nail his hands, 
and they nail his feet at the same time, right? Not the crucifixion. What they did in the real crucifixion, the hands to the cross being first. And then they hung that cross beam up on the vertical beam. They weren't raised together. The vertical beam was in place. They they raise him up and only the cross beam. So the only nails holding him in his hands. Right? Those only nails. So what does that mean? Body sack. Right? And the reason for that, remember? Torture. you got all these people watching this. What happens? Remember in the Old Testament... And Isaiah, I believe, he says, my bones are out of joint. Y'all remember that? See, what happens when you hang like this on just a cross member with your arms out by a nail, all your body weight's pulling down. Guess what happens over a little bit of time? Each shoulder comes out of its socket. You extend your length here when you're shoulder your arm approximately six inches. Now, remember, torture. So all of a sudden, instead of having your skeletal structure able to assist in your support, it's separated, which means now you've just got your ligaments, your muscles, your tendons. That's the only thing holding you. Your skeletal support is gone, and the agony is just excruciating. And what happens then is you can't stay, you're you're kind of, you're flopped forward like this because they're out of joint. Now remember, he's already been beaten. Beaten while he was naked. So they nail him up there. He's got stripes from his calves all the way across his bottom and up his back. He's nailed against that wood, and that wood was rough wood. They don't, they don't varnish it before they put you on there. So your, your arms, now remember, your shoulders have come out of joint. And you can't, so you have no control. You don't have any control in your hand. Then they nail your feet. Now, you're all the way. Now, remember, you're, hump, you're kind of sunk down because your arms are out of joint. So guess how they nail your feet? Remember, torture, torture, torture. They nail your, your legs at a 45-degree angle while you're all the way sunk down like this. Now you're nailed. That's why I say, you know, you're out of joint. You're going forward like this. You're already having trouble breathing, and the only way you can breathe You've got to push up with your legs to breathe as long as you can and go back down. But as far as you can go down, because remember, it's it's pulling here, so that's as far as you can go down. 45 degree angle. You just try to stand like this for a while and see how it works. And then try it for hours. All the thighs are cramping. It's excruciating. They're crying out. They're yelling. The guys don't. I mean, it's just the pain. But here's the other thing. When you were hung up on a cross by the Romans, as soon as they raised you up, you lost all your rights as a citizen. You were no longer human. You no longer had any rights. Here's what that meant. (laughs) The people out in the audience, if you will, let's say you murdered somebody's daughter. And you were on that cross and the family was there. Guess what? Why you're hanging there already in extreme they can do anything to you they want to do. They could walk up with a stick and just poke it through your eyes. Most of the time they threw feces and urine and they just threw it on. You could do anything to anybody you wanted. 
It was an extremely torturous and tormenting death. So if we really want to show Jesus on a cross the way he looked, would have looked, we would have to do something like this. That's the way it would have looked. That's not what we see. I have no idea why. I can't explain it. But I chose to study it for myself. Now, the lesson, or what I want to talk about tonight, I want to show, I want to get a little, just a little glimpse of what Jesus did for us, because he certainly did not have to die on the cross for us. Uh, he could have just wiped out the human race and started all over. But there's something that we as Christians are responsible for, back to Jesus and what he did to, uh, for us. Now, the Bible says in Galatians 5.16, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I don't know about you. I'm 66 years old. I've heard that scripture read over and over and over, and I've never heard anybody stand up and say, How you walk in the Spirit? There's an evangelist out there named Paul Washer. Paul Washer was sharing once that as a young man, somebody came in and preached on walking in the Spirit and the benefits and the privileges. And Paul walked up to him after the service and said, Sir, you just captivated me. I listened and I hung on every word you said. But you didn't tell me how. How do I walk in the Spirit? And the man got visibly upset at Paul. Apparently said a few unkind words. And a more mature Christian walked up to Paul. While he was talking to him, put his arm around him and said, That's okay, son. It's okay. The reason he didn't tell you is because he doesn't know himself. That's what's out there, folks. That's who people are getting their spiritual nourishment from. What I'm about to share with you is the apex of the Christian life, or the very height of the Christian life. No one who does this has ever questioned their salvation. This is the nitty-gritty of Christianity that has been discarded for more fleshly, pleasant things. Leonard Ravenhill, there's, there's three giants, or three of the giants of the last decade, spiritual giants. Leonard Ravenhill, Vance Havner, and B.R. Lakin. You can listen to all three of them on sermonaudio.com. But their message was not to the world. Their message was to the church. Trying to straighten out the church. Leonard Ravenhill once said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been tried, found too difficult, and rejected by the church and the world. And oh, the price we paid for this rejection. Galatians 5.17 says this, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other. There is a battle raging in each of us of the spirit between the flesh. Though in most of us the battle is over, and the flesh is won. Don't believe me? Then listen to the scripture, Romans 8, 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now what things do you mind? So how important is this battle? It's the battle of life versus death. 
Do you see why Paul was so unpopular? Why he was so hated? Why he was so persecuted? Paul did not preach the false gospel of just say this little prayer after me. The true gospel is a cutting sword. And as you will see, true regeneration, which is the quickening of God in a human life to bring salvation, the rebirthing of someone from the darkness of the world to the light of faith, if genuine, results in an odd, a strange, and a despised new creature to the world and most of religion. There was a man many years ago. He died in 1963. His name was A.W. Tozer. Much of his work still abounds. He wrote about 40 books. He was a man who walked with God. He spent hours a day in prayer. In fact, he gave away most all the money to the poor. Back then, he lived in a simple home. He rode the bus and he never owned a car. And he said, if you decide to walk in the Spirit, you better be prepared to walk alone. How do you reconcile the words of preaching today to the words of Jesus? It seems the most propagated gospel on religious TV today is the prosperity gospel. The gospel of improved economics. If this be true, how is it reconciled to the words of Jesus in Luke 14, starting in verse 25? Luke 14, I think it's 25 through 33. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. What does this count the cost and forsaking all mean? When I say the count the cost, that was back up in verse uh, uh, 28 where Jesus says, For which of you intending to build a tower, tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? What does this mean? What does it mean to forsake all? Is Jesus giving us the foundational requirements to walk in the Spirit? Remember, the flesh is warring against the Spirit. Now, how do we overcome in the Spirit that we may walk therein? How do we defeat our greatest enemy? Our greatest enemy is our flesh to obtain the victory. The devil may be a great enemy, but I'm telling you, our flesh, our own flesh, is our greatest enemy. You know, there's a comic strip many years ago. It was filled with satire, and it was called Pogo. Is anybody in here old enough to remember old Pogo? Wasn't it? It was, Walt Kelly wrote that. Funny, funny. It was swamp creatures. 
all these swamp creatures, and they, and they would mirror the politics of the day, and he would throw in a lot of comedy. But the, the, the greatest and most famous line from like a 30-year run of this comic strip was a, a, a shot of Pogo, and he was what a, a Pogo was some kind of a, I don't even know what he was. He was a Pogo. And he was looking at himself in the mirror, and here was the line underneath. We have met the enemy, and he is us. I gotta stop doing this. I'm, that's a habit. <laughs> we have met the enemy, and he is us. We are our worst enemy. Romans eight thirteen in its entirety says this: If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, that means to kill them, ye shall live. Let's look at Paul's description of what this means. How he likens it to something all too familiar to the early Christians. Remember my earlier words about the songs we sing and actually the catchphrases we use, how we sing and state that Jesus took our place on the cross. If this was true, how do you explain our next verse? This is Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. I'm crucified. Luke 9.23, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. If Jesus took our place on the cross, why are we still called to our own cross? And why did Paul say that he was crucified? The only way to be crucified is on a cross. So if Jesus took Paul's place, why was Paul crucified? Remember Galatians 5.17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. If you're going to walk in the spirit, then you have to dominate in the battle over the flesh. I know what some people always think at this point. They think, well, I do not care about being a super Christian like Paul. I want to enjoy life here and just get into heaven. I don't care about being a big shot there. As long as I'm there, I'll be happy. And we rationalize to figure out just how little we can do to make it. Well, I hate to burst your bubble. <clears throat> do you know what Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says? Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. These are Jesus' words. And I assure you, to walk in the Spirit is the narrow way. Paul gives the key to this narrow path, this path for which Jesus said to count the cost. The key to this path that is so narrow, there are few people that even find it. Galatians 2.20 again in its entirety. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, for those that believe this only applies to Paul, hear what he says to us just a few verses later. Galatians 5.24 And they, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. It's us. Sure, Paul was crucified. He crucified his flesh. But then he says, and those who... Well, who are Christ? Christians, 
You know what the word Christian means? It means little Christ. And those who are, how do you know who, how do you know who belongs to Christ? How do you know, how do you get that assurance of your salvation? He says those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Now that Greek word affections means affections and passions that lead to sin. Lust means craving and desiring those things which are forbidden by God. So how do you overcome? We gotta be crucified. Gotta be crucified. What do you think that water baptism represents when you're baptized? Going under the water signifies death. Coming out of the water signifies we are raised to a new life. But death must receive life. It is backwards to physical life. In the physical world, we are born and then we die. In the spiritual world, we die to self to be born into the kingdom. It's death to life. Why does Jesus tell us we have to take up our cross daily? Because this fleshly nature will never be destroyed in this life. So it must be kept upon a cross. Always moaning, always groaning for its desires, but helpless as long as this nature is kept upon a cross. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I keep my body, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. This literally means he beats his body black and blue. Just study it. Now, what did he mean by him being a castaway? I've heard, I've heard this preached by preachers that say, well, no, oh, oh, he, he didn't mean that he'd be lost. But the idea here is if you study that word castaway, the idea here is of testing a metal like a coin to authenticate it. And finding it to be a fake. In other words, tried and found untrue. That sure sounds to me like Paul brought himself into subjection to show he was genuine and not a fake. Jesus said in Matthew 5.30, And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. We need to be aware of and in the battle against this flesh. And it must be crucified. Romans 8, 17. And if children, if children, if we are God's children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Nobody wants to hear. You know why we don't want to hear that? You know why history records men and women suffering for Christ with joy? I've got one, two, I've got two books on martyrs. One is that thick, and the other is Fox's book of martyrs. And the recorded stories just shame us. I I was reading one, some of them are just brief paragraphs. Recorded in history, like in the 1600s, I was reading about these two girls that gave their life to Jesus. They were 16 years old. I was 16. 
So what happens? Well, the corrupt church of the day, which didn't, which said you couldn't have this personal relationship with Jesus, arrested these two 16-year-old girls. They took them for, before a body of men, and they gave them a chance. And all they had to do, two 16-year-old girls, all they had to do was renounce that newfound faith and go their way and live their lives. That's all they had to do. How many of us would just say, okay, I'll renounce it with my life? They refused to renounce. They were tied up in sacks and thrown into a river. <sighs> Do you know that this is a life of suffering? And none we and you know why we hate suffering? Because we hadn't crucified the flesh. The only reason we can endure suffering is by crucifying the flesh. There is no other way. Because this flesh hates to suffer. It hates to suffer in any way. In any way. We hate to suffer. We suffer in both. If we're Christian, following Jesus, we suffer in both tribulation and in self-denial. Self-denial makes you suffer. This flesh hates to be denied. Just try fasting. You know, the Bible says not if you fast, but when you fast. You just see what your body does when you fast. I can tell you what mine does. It screams, feed me! Feed me! What it does? Just try it. It wants to be fed. But you know why we're supposed to fast? Because fasting is telling Jesus, I need you more than I need food. That's what we're telling him. Jesus said in John 15, 20, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This world hates the genuine Christian. And very soon we're going to see a level of persecution equal to that of other countries. There are many in this nation and all around us that have waited a long time for this day to persecute those who are in the kingdom of God. To sum up this teaching, to walk in the Spirit is to deny ourselves, crucify our flesh, take up our, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. It will bring a life of hatred, persecutions, tribulations, and self-denial. But Paul said in Philippians 3, this we're almost done. Paul said in Philippians 3, verses 8 through 11, but indeed, I also... You know who Paul was? You do realize, Paul was extremely wealthy. So he's one of those that God called that he doesn't normally call. He was not only extremely wealthy, he was extremely educated. Highly educated. And guess what? He was well born. He met all three of those classifications that God says, I don't call many. But he didn't say I can call any. Paul met all three of them. Very powerful. Very powerful man. Very wealthy man. And here's what he says. But indeed, I also count all things, all this education, all this wealth, all this position. He said, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. And that word rubbish in the Greek doesn't mean trash. It means manure. That's what it means. Paul said money is manure compared to knowing Jesus. Power is manure compared to knowing Jesus. Education is manure compared to knowing Jesus. So why is it if somebody came in here tonight and offered us a million dollars 
to renounce our faith in most churches, 80% of the people would be gone in five minutes. I mean, wouldn't they? But yet Paul said, but see, we got to walk in the Spirit so we'll make the connection with Jesus, walk in fellowship with Him, and then we won't want anything else. That's what Paul said. And he had it. You can't argue with Paul. He had it all. He, you know, Peter and John said, said, well, Jesus, we left all to follow you. Yeah, they left two old rickety fishing boats. They didn't leave nothing. You know, they didn't leave nothing. But Paul left it all. Paul had it all. And left it. All right. Last page. Last few words. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Man, I wish I had time to share with you Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German during the time of Hitler. He was a pastor. He's the first pastor to stand against Hitler, and he wound up giving his life for standing against Hitler. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, When Christ bids a man come, he bids him come and die. The morning that Hitler had him, Hitler had him executed seven days before the liberation of the camp. At the very end of the war, he hated Bonhoeffer so much he wanted to suffer in the camp and then kill him before the Allies came in and rescued the camp. They said, as they walked him out to be hung, it was like he was taking a morning stroke. It was totally irrelevant to him. Just like Paul's death was irrelevant to him. You know why? Because he had already been in fellowship with the one to whom he is about to see. He had already forsaken the whole world. There was nothing. You know, I read, I read one of the old Puritans. I, I wish I, man, I could stay here and talk all night. But, but one of the old Puritans said, if you want your inheritance here, he said, the only inheritance here is only fit for a dog. You wouldn't want what only, what's only fit for a dog we can have what's fit for a child of the king. Amen? My friends, if we want to live with him, we must die to him. To walk in the spirit, we must die to the flesh. Each of us has a choice to make. May we choose wisely. Lord, I did it. I came in and I brought a message tonight. Lord, it's a convicting message. I didn't even share with these people, Lord, that when I'm studying on what to preach, I'm studying for me. I'm preaching at me more than I preach at anybody else. Lord, we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to be in fellowship and communion with you, Lord. And all this glitter and glamour around us will be nothing but manure. Oh, God, give us that vision. Lord, you say in your word. We're the ones you call. Lord, I pray you call us with that heavenly call. Put us on the right path, Lord, and keep us there because eternity is so close. It's so close. Lord, I thank these people for sitting and listening to me. Bless them, Lord. Bless them. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, if you ever want to have me back, I'll just tell you, I've got a ton of servants, but one I've got is... uh, on manna. And it's the mystery of manna. Everybody knows what manna is, right? Just look to the Bible. It's what God fed the children with in the wilderness. But guess what? I'll bring something with me to show you what it looks like, what it looked like, uh, why it's important, how they had to, what they had to go through to prepare it, and what it represented. The mystery of manna. God bless y'all. Thank you.